You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Mino Lion Media presents Conversations with Dr. Ian Smith. Donnie Simpson, thanks for joining the conversation today. Dr. Ian, it is a pleasure. It's an honor to meet you, my brother. Much respect. <laughs> you too. You too. You too. You too. Uh, I love talking to legends because that means there's a lot I can learn. So let's jump right in this. I mean, you have had one of the most storied radio personality, DJ, TV career uh, of any uh, personality in the radio industry. It's been so long. You've retired. You've come back even stronger. Uh, but I want to go back, actually. It okay. starts... From what I was reading, it starts in Detroit. Yes, sir. The Motor City. <laughs> <laughs> so how was it? 1969. 69 yeah. Detroit. Yeah, 69. Um, well, I grew up, my mother owned a record shop in Detroit. So, and I worked, she opened it when I was 12 years old. So, and I used to run that record shop, man. I mean, as a kid, I could run it. I'd open it and run it all day. She, she didn't have to be there. Uh, so I was always <laughs> around music. But... Um, one day when I was 15 years old, she had uh, a local DJ come in and do his show from there on a Saturday afternoon. His name was Al Perkins. And he did the show for two or three hours from the shop. And uh, he just had a portable booth. They drove up front and they parked out front of me, you know, with big glass enclosed booth. And uh, so anyway, he invited me to come in to announce the specials that hour. So I'd go in, you know, hey, we got the Temptations Greatest Hits on sale for $1.99, that kind of thing. And it was so amazing to me because I'd never thought about radio. My first ambition in life would be a Baptist minister. And wow. you know, somewhere along the line, George Clinton turned me out and here I am. But, uh, <laughs> 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 but uh, so I'm in the studio and I'm watching him do his show, man. He's got his headphones on and he's rocking, he's jamming to the music. And I was like, whoa, I could do that. I could do that. I mean, that was the moment I fell in love with radio. I said, I want to do that. And people used to always come in my mother's shop and go, God, you sound just like a DJ. You ought to be a DJ. Because my voice was heavy. My voice changed in the summer between seventh and eighth grade, and which I mm. hated because before that, the only male first soprano in the choir. So I got to sit with the girl. <laughs> so I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, so anyway, people would say that and it would go in one ear and out the other. You know, again, I wanted the church. And um, so but after that moment, it's like, that's what I want to do. And within three months, I was on the air. I um, they had a group called the WJLB Soul Teen Reporters, one reporter from each public high school in Detroit. And uh, and I was selected as the one for my school. We'd go into the radio station, record a little 60-second spiel. It ran once a day. You know, it was like, you know, I, you know, don't forget we got uh, cap and gown measurements next Friday, bake sale Tuesday. We beat Pershing High 54 to 56. The lovers of the week are, and the number one song is, that kind of thing. And, uh, but because I had this heavy voice, I got so popular. I was more popular than most of 
of the jocks, you know, because I was this kid with this heavy voice. So they started putting me on on weekends for three hours on Saturday afternoon. And that lasted for about two months, maybe. And then they fired the guy who worked eight to midnight weeknights. And they said, we need you to sit in for him for one week to give us time to find someone else. And I sat there for seven and a half years. <laughs> and how old were you? I was 15. I was 15. 15 years old. 15 years old. I mean, and, and in Detroit, I mean, uh, in a, Detroit at that time was the fifth largest market in the country. So to get your start in a major market like that, I mean, what a blessing. Oh my goodness. So it was crazy. You're 15, you're in high school full-time and you still have this gig? Yeah. And, and Dr. Ian, I couldn't even do my whole show live because I was on from eight to midnight and the law stated I couldn't work past 1030. So... <laughs> After school, I would go to the radio. My mother would drive me to the radio station. I would record my last hour and a half, go home, do my homework, have dinner, go back at 8, do the show live from 8 to 10.30, put the tape on and leave. <laughs> you know, so. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, this is, just blessed. Blessed. Truly yeah, blessed. And, and, but what I love about it is I love, one, how enterprising you were, but also there's a sense, which often comes with being younger, a sense of fearlessness. Like, you didn't think through the challenge of this. You just said, of course I can do this. I'm going to do it. Absolutely. I mean, boom, right there. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, There's no thinking yeah. to be done. It's like, here's a, an opportunity. I'm gone. I, I mean, it was, it, was, it was amazing. And then, you know, I became like this teenage idol, if you will. You know, I mean, I would do sock hops and stuff, you know, and go to all the different schools. And Detroit at that time, you know, my guest would be the Temptations. <laughs> Yeah, you know, yeah, Smokey Robinson, yeah. people like that would come and join me at the Sock Hops, but I could never announce my last song because the girls would go crazy. I they, They'd have to sneak me out. I mean, I'm talking about girls ripping your clothes off and all that kind of, They don't rip them off anymore. They really? stop that. <laughs> but wait, so wait, 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 wait. So hold on for a second. So they would be waiting for you or they'd be oh, yeah. there? Oh, yeah. They're waiting for the dance to end, man. And they just, whoom, just I mean, I've had, had my clothes ripped off and everything, man, while I was there. You know, it, it was crazy. It was it was crazy. So you I mean, listen, you've had so many different shows, the Donnie Simpson show, the Donnie Simpson morning show, uh, Video Soul on BET, which we'll get to in a second. But I want to talk about you've interviewed almost everyone. I just can't think who you from Aretha to James Brown to Jay-Z to Madonna, to Mariah Carey. Are there any interviews over your very long and illustrious career that still stick out in your mind? Oh, God, there's so many. There's so many. James Brown was, uh, that was always special for me because, you know, I love James. James helped shape me, you know, mm. through his music. You know, when I heard Say It Loud, I'm Black and I'm Proud at 14 years old. I mean, that was life changing, man. Mm. You know, I mean, mm. it, James gave me a sense of pride and, and Curtis Mayfield. I mean, same thing from Curtis. But James was just so in your face with it. You know, it was just I don't want nobody to give me nothing. Open up the door and I get it myself, you know. And <laughs> so so when I would have him on, it was just like I mean, I, I mean it, it was like royalty. And I mean, and that's the way James rolled, too. You know, James would come through Video Soul and he's got. You know, it's like five limos. He's up front with flags on the front of the car, like head of state. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's got 
pin cops, you know, DC cops. <laughs> James was such a legend. And, and I used to tell him, James, you are my king. I'm your soldier. There ain't nothing I wouldn't do for you. And I meant that, man. You know, because he gave me that sense of black pride, man. And um, so, so James in particular, but of course, you know, Smokey Robinson, uh, Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis, Aretha, Whitney, Bobby. If you think back, like, I'm going to kind of specialize this. Who would you say was one of the more difficult interviews? Oh, difficult. You know, it's funny, and this is a weird answer, I think, but the most difficult interviews for me were always Sugar Ray Leonard and Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis because we're best friends, mm. you know? So, mm. you know, all of a sudden now you're sitting there and you're all dressed up and you're on a set and makeup and now it's all formal and it's like, it was just, it's weird. It's like, why are you asking yeah. me that? You know all this stuff, yeah. you know? They were always difficult because I always worried about getting too inside, you know, mm -hmm. and that your audience wouldn't get it because some of the comments would be inside jokes, you know, so, right. so, but, exactly. um, yeah, so I know it's a strange answer, but that would be it. No, no. How about Michael Jackson? Never had Michael on the show. Never had him on the show in nope. radio, maybe? Nope. Never. Nope. Never, never. And I knew Michael, but we never had him on. Prince and Michael are the only two that I could think of that we never got, you know, and, and they were both friends, but never had them on, you know, for a long time. Prince didn't do any interviews. I mean, early on, I remember for a long stretch of years, Prince had only done one interview and he interviewed himself. <laughs> you know, yes. I mean, he was just mm -hmm. that dude, you know. He's one of my favorite artists, but he was a different kind of guy, wasn't he? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I did have him on radio, though. I had him on radio once, and it was fantastic. But, yeah, Prince was a different guy. I mean, just a fantastic guy, man, a fantastic artist. Yeah, let me tell you one funny story. One night, well, we, one day, this was on a Wednesday, we had uh, David Bowie on Video Soul. And so after the show, me and David were talking and he was telling me he's going to Minneapolis this weekend. He's performing there Friday night. And I said, well, I'm going to Minneapolis uh, this weekend too. I, I'm doing uh, the time reunion. And uh, so he said, well, you should come to the show. I said, well, I'd love to. So he makes arrangements for me to go to the show. I call Ray, Ray Leonard, Sugar Ray Leonard. And uh, Ray goes with me. We go, we go to Minneapolis to hang out with the fellas for the weekend, right? So that Friday night, we go to the concert, and David has us set up at the soundboard, which is always in the middle of the auditorium, you know, so the engineer can adjust the sound so they can hear everything just right. But he had, like, maybe 10 seats, a dozen seats set up there at the soundboard. So as we're going to our seats, I bumped the lady in front of me, and I said, uh, excuse me, ma'am. And Prince turned around. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so I said, oh, God, excuse me, Prince. I'm sorry. He said, nah, it's cool. It's cool. Like that, he turns back around. So then a minute or two later, he turns back around and he says, uh, hey, Donnie, I'm having a party tonight at Paisley Park. You and Ray ought to come. So cool. We'll come. Definitely. So uh, so we go to the party and the party couldn't have been, I don't know, maybe a dozen people. It's like me, Ray, my producer, Jeff Newman, Prince Cat, his dancer, David Bowie mm -hmm. and some of his band members. And that's about it. 
And uh, he plays the Black Album that night. And, you know, I knew of the Black Album, had never heard it because I don't know if you know that history, but there was a stretch where it wasn't released. And, you know, I mean, it was just a notorious album. And uh, so that's what he played that night. And, and I remember telling him, I said, man, this is such a groove. And he came back to me with that three years later. And he says, you know, you're the reason I didn't release the Black Album. I said, why? What do you mean? He said, you remember what you said to me that night at Paisley Park? He said, you said it was such a groove. And I was about so much more than that. And I thought, wow, 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 wow. So, you know, now I don't know if he's just saying that, but he remembered it. That's exactly what he said and and what I said. But then years later, I thought about it. I said, God, I wish I'd have thought to tell him, like, bro, I don't hear lyrics. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. All I hear is vibe and where it is, you know, how it feels. You know, I have to Mm. make a concentrated effort to hear lyrics. And Mm. so, Mm. you know, so that's all I can do. It's a groove, baby. (laughs) Wow. Wow. And so how, I mean, people talk about partying with Prince. What is partying with Prince like at his place? That was just, I mean, just like anybody else. I mean, we were all dancing. I mean, before we played the Black Album, I remember, I remember dancing with Kat to uh, I'll Take You There by the Staple Singers. <laughs> and she starts grabbing props and stuff, and she's dancing. She's got, you know, mic stands and broom handles. And I was like, I need to sit down. <laughs> you know, I'm out of my league here, you know? Wow. wow. And what is, what's David Bowie doing? David Bowie's just grooving, man, with everybody. He's dancing, too, like everybody else, man, just having a good time. I mean... It was so cool and so comfortable because it's so few people. It's not like a big party where you have to be on. You know, you're just, you're just hanging, man. Just it's chilling. Just, just hanging. chilling. Just chilling, you know. I, I got to imagine with the career like yours that has expanded for so long and so wide and you've met the best of the best, there also must be a point of sad reflection to think about how many are gone. Oh, my goodness. Right? Yes. Oh, no doubt, man. No doubt. Every day. I mean, every day before my show, I say a prayer. And at the end of it, I ask God to say hello to some people that I love. And at the end of it, I always pick two artists, one male, one female. So, you know, today it might be, tell Melvin hello. Melvin Mm. Franklin of The Temptation, Mm. you know, Mm. and Tammy, Tammy Terrell. Mm. Sometimes it's even people that I don't, that I never met. Maybe Mahalia, Mahalia Jackson, you know. Mm, Uh, mm. I I just, I think about, you know, I think about how I never thought that I would be the age I am now and there not be a Prince or a Michael Jackson or a David Bowie. I mean, Mm. you, you imagine them being old, even Aretha, you imagine them to be like 90 and, and, you know, Prince was one of my favorites and i remember um where i was you know there are those moments when certain people die and it's like where were you when you heard and i can remember um when prince died and michael very vividly where i was and what the environment was like but it's just you just never think these guys are gonna go never i remember talking to Smokey robinson the, the day michael died and Smokey said just one simple line that it was so amazing to me he said he'd just gotten off the phone with barry barry gordy and he said he said donnie i was just saying to barry who in the world would have thought this day would end like this 
like mm. no one. I mean, just floored, just mm. devastated, man. You know, and I got to tell you this, though, and I told Smokey this, and I said, Smokey, this is a really, and, and it was on a podcast, my podcast with Smokey. I said, this is a very strange thing to say. I hope so. I hope you receive it the way that it's meant. But, you know, every time one of our celebrities dies like that, you know, my phones start ringing, my cell phone, home phone, because it's the uh, press calling, trying to get comment from me, right? And, uh, you know, so it's that moment of realization that something's going on. And I said, I got to tell you this, brother, that every time that happens, my first thought is always, please don't be smoky. Wow. Every time, wow. every time, that's my first thought, man. And he wow. said, brother, I appreciate that. I, it tells me how much you love me, you know, and it, and it does. I mean, I do. I love him mm. that much, man. Always my mm. first thought, man. You know, you know, yeah. it, it's, it's interesting because, you know, obviously you started in radio. And so you've had legion of fans and followers from your radio career. But then uh, Bob Johnson from BET calls you and says, I want you to front you know, our video program, Video Soul. Now, for my generation, Video Soul was must watch TV. Like, <laughs> like you watch video, if you want to know what was going on in music, you watch Donnie Simpson and Video Soul, period. And um, <laughs> Thank the you. impact, yeah, well, the impact you have had on millions of people, and I know that you have perspective, but you, you just can't really grasp how impactful you have been in the lives of millions of people at that age and what that program did and how it resonated in many ways, by the way, not just from the entertainment side, like people enjoying it from it, but what it meant to people, where they were in life, uh, people were down and that lifted them. It was, they were mm. lonely and that was a, a comfortable place and familiar place to go. So the impact you had on people at so many different levels is it's difficult to grasp. I mean, it was just, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I tell you, you know, I, um, I think about this one moment all the time. VH1 did a piece called black in the eighties, a documentary mm. black in the eighties. And they had interviewed me for it. And I, uh, so they told me when it was airing. So I watched that night and the first 15 minutes of the show was about, um, Brian Gumble was the first, black guy to host a morning news show, the Today Show. And then they went into mm -hmm. Arsenio Hall, the first black to host a late night TV show. And then they went into Cosby and the Cosby show, the first black TV show where it wasn't a maid and a janitor, but a doctor and a lawyer. You know, and mm -hmm. then they go into Donnie Simpson and Video Soul. Man, <laughs> I'll never forget my my first thought as soon as it ended was Okay, well, how the hell am I supposed to get to sleep tonight? You know, b because that was the first time it was put into perspective for me. I always think of this line from the Elton John song, Rocket Man, where he says, and all the science I don't understand. It's just my job five days a week. You know, I mean, you can look at me as an astronaut. It's like it's all glamorous and all that. Man, it's, I don't care who you are. It, it's just what you do. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's, your, yeah. it's your gig. You know, that's yeah. what you do. And so you don't think about it while you're in it. You know, now, God, you know, I'm forced all the time to have to look at that. I was uh, in trying to write a book, you know, uh, working with someone to write my story. And so then you're really forced to look at it and to uh, to see what it meant. And it's just 
it's it's mind blowing to me, honestly. I, I can't. It, it's it's still hard for me to grasp. You know, I um, I, I don't know. Well, the, listen, the I mean, love listen. that people give me. Listen, when you are doing the work, okay, like when I do my work, I'm not thinking about the bigger view of how people are looking at my work. I'm engaged in the work. Yeah. And the moment you had is very poetic in the sense that you have worked and sculpted and crafted your career and your mastery uh, with such focus. And then a third party gives you a perspective of what that really has done, where it fits. And that is a very humbling, thrilling, yeah. and eye-opening experience to sit back yeah. and say, geez, I actually did like, I actually did that. And, and I'm up with those guys, right? Isn't that the kind of... Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I've had so many of them moments, Dr. Ian. I mean, when I, wow, when I retired, you mentioned from radio. Oh, man, I pick up the Washington Post that morning. There I am on the front page, not the front page of the style section, the front page above the fold. And all I could think was, it was like that? Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, it's mind blowing, man. You know, and it, I, I'm getting goosebumps now just telling you that. It's just, uh, I don't know. It's, you know, I, um, you know, I'm so grateful for it, man. I, I really am. And it's, I never expected any of this. You know, when you talk about being engaged in what you're doing, you know, it's like, I mean, what I do is me. I mean, that's all I yeah. do. I don't give you yeah. 20 rebounds a night. I can't shoot threes. <laughs> You know, I can't shoot threes from the freeway like Steph Curry. You know, all I, all I am is personality, you know, and that people like you. You know, I mean, what I pray for every day, like I told you when before I go on, I just pray to be great. You know, I want to be great at what I do always, you know. And those are lessons from Dr. King. I mean, if, if you're going to be a street sweeper, be the better street sweeper there ever was. You know, I mean, right. what? no matter what I would do, I would want to be great at it. I wonder talking to you um, and meeting you for the first time, I wonder, like, we know you from being on air. But, like, for example, do we know what your favorite musical genre is? Probably not. <laughs> because I don't know. I, <laughs> my my musical yeah. favorite musical genre is music. You know, right. really. My when I walk and stuff in the morning, my my phone is always when I play music. It's always on random, always, mm. always. Mm. And I don't care what comes. It could be Vladimir Horowitz into BB King into Jimi mm. Hendrix into Billie Eilish into Silk Sonic and, and Tupac. And it all mm. makes sense to me. It's interesting you say that because I think it was Bramford Marsalis when he was doing The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. I remember one poignant moment that he was, I'm pretty sure it was him, he was on the couch and he was talking about his musical taste. And what he said to me resonated with me because I'm very similar. He said, I like all genres of music. I like good music. And good music is beyond genres, whether it's country, rock, hip hop, R&B. It doesn't matter. Good music is good music and you can respect and appreciate it no matter what genre it's in. Absolutely. 
I second that 100%. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I just, I don't know. I, re- I remember when I started programming KISS. Uh, this is WKYS in Washington, D.C. I started programming it in 1979. And uh, the station, I mean, it would just, it was a skyrocket to the top. I mean, in nine months, we went from 16th place to number one. And, you know, and I didn't know what I was doing, you know, but that's the beauty of it. It's just feel. It's just music to me. You know, I got rid of the consultants. I took the television advertising off. I didn't want to advertise it because I want to know that if we win, it's because of what it is, not because of how you hype it, you know? That's right. And, um, but, I remember the Washington Post coming after us, and they wanted to know, well, what do you call it? I said, I don't call it anything. Well, you have to call it something. You know, no, I don't have to. I said, I call it KISS or WKYS or 93.9 because that's what the people in the street call it. That's all they can. They, you've never heard in your life anyone say, oh, I like listening to, or listening to urban adult radio. You know, people don't talk. And that's <laughs> all I care about are the people listening. That's all I care about. So then I finally told him, I said, uh, well, you know what? We were disco. I guess now we're this, that with some of this and some of that. <laughs> <laughs> and they ran with that, man. <laughs> but that's what it was. You know, I play anything, man. I, I have played Garth Brooks on my show. I played Johnny Cash. I play, you know, Mm. West mm. West Montgomery. I go I go anywhere, you know. Yeah. Be, because I believe this, Doctor Ian, that it's all in how you present it. You know, mm. when I play Garth Brooks, you know, this is what I said. I said, you know, I was looking at the uh, Billboard charts last night, and I see Garth Brooks. I don't even know who this guy is. I mean, I know he's a star. I know when he comes to town, he sells out all the shows and all. You know, I get all of that. I said, but next to each album on this list, first of all, he has six. In the top 50, each one has a little platinum sign behind it denoting a million in sales. Behind that are numbers like 12, 13, 8, 7. I said 63 million in sales. So I said, I got to know who this guy is. So I went to the record store and bought a couple of his albums last night. Man, I love this dude. Check it out. This is what he does. This is, you know, and I played snippets of two or three songs from him. And, and, and this is such a cool story because the way it ends. I had given up programming then. So the program director came into me after the show and said, Donnie, why would you play Garth Brooks on the show? And I said, you don't talk to me about music. She said, but why would you play? I said, look, you do not talk to me about music. Mm-hmm. She goes to the general manager. He wants to talk to me. I go in his office. Same thing. I said, look, with all due respect, you do not talk to me about music. We don't have these conversations. It was written in every contract that I had total control of what happens mm. during those hours that I'm on. And so anyway, we left. I left and went home. The next morning in the Washington Post, front page of the style section, three quarters of the page is about Garth Brooks. The article mm. opens, and I remember word for word, first paragraph, how big is Garth Brooks? He crossed over to the Donnie Simpson show yesterday. <laughs> Yes. You can't did you buy take it, that kind of publicity. Did you take it to the boss? I didn't have to. He saw it. I don't, they, yeah. Um, you, you know? No. Yeah. It's interesting because, um, you know, I think about music. And I love music. I absolutely love music and so deeply because to me, music does so much 
and it's so global. And I say to my friends and my family, and for those who don't travel a lot, pop culture is the real number one export of America. Whether you're in China or Japan or Germany or Sweden or Paris, American pop culture is what people absolutely love. And what leads the pop culture is music. Music. It leads. We lead. I don't care what anyone says. We lead. No question about it. I I went to Japan once. I had a syndicated radio show and we were on just on Saturdays there, but it was the number one show in Tokyo, right? And so they bring me over to do the show live. I'm there for a week. Twice, I was in clubs, and on the monitors, they're playing Video Soul. (laughs) And I'm freaking out because they don't have cable. It's like, how do they get this? So I'm talking to the owner one night of this one particular club, and uh, because they're showing me with MC Hammer. And... uh, (laughs) He said, yeah, I love this. I said, well, the first time Hammer was on, he showed me how to dance. Oh, I got it. I got it. Want to see it? He takes me in the back. He's got stacks of video soul in the storage room. Stacks of them. And they would sell them in record shops. They were bootleg copies, but they would sell them (laughs) in the record stores for $20 a pop. You know, it it was amazing to me. It was amazing. But yeah, that music in particular, like you said, it's just that universal thing. The first time I ever went to Europe, I went with Frankie Beverly because mm. Frank, Frankie was on Video Soul after the show. We're talking and he's telling me, yeah, we're going to London. You know, we're, we're bigger than the Beatles there. And you go, yeah, OK. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, all right. He said, no, I'm serious. You should come. I said, OK. Let's go. And so me and my wife, Pam, went. It was 1983, first time in Europe. And it was amazing. Amazing. First of all, the audience mix was, you know, here in America, most white folks don't know Frankie Beverly and Amazing. That's you right. Know, there, the audience was 85% white. Wow. All ages, 8 to 80. He played the Hammersmith Odeon, which... Holds about 4,500 people. He broke the Beatles record. They, he sold out 17 nights. Oh, my goodness. 17 nights, man. You know, Jeez. I mean, it, and from there we went to Paris, and he just did one night there, 10,000-seat arena. They don't speak English. Everyone singing every single every word. word. Every word. So I offer that as you know, just further proof of what you said, you know, that it's You know, and and then the other thing that I'd like to say, Dr. Ian, is that I I so appreciate the world's lifetime appreciation for artists and for music. You know, this country is such a what have you done for me lately kind of society. You know, we forget they once Mm. they love you, it's for life. Mm. You know, that's why you Mm. used to see so many artists go over there and never come back. You know, it's it's for life. It's, yeah, you can work absolutely. the rest of your life, man. And that's a beautiful thing. They love and they love black music. Well, it's interesting. So I just watched this um, Quincy Jones documentary on Netflix. I just started was, it last night. I haven't. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> can I tell you something? I consider myself a music aficionado, not as deep as you, but I do know a lot of music. I forgot how big and successful Quincy Jones has been and the breadth of his work and his influence. I totally, I gotta see the documentary again. I'm, everyone listening, if you wanna see something a great, whether you love music or not, it's, this is not a music documentary. 
It's more than that. You've got to watch Quincy Jones' documentary. And when I watched it, it made me think about the vulnerability of artists. We look at artists as these demigods, these rich, powerful, successful, trendy, but there's a lot of vulnerability with artists. And I'm sure you've seen some of the vulnerabilities, a lot of insecurity. There's a lot of second guessing. Speak to that for me if you can. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, true artists, you have to be committed to who you are and and do your thing. You know, I was watching the uh, Tonys a week and a half ago, and that was the one message that I took away. And it was the first time I ever watched the Tonys. And I watched because this kid from D.C., uh, Miles, what's Miles' last name? Uh, the, the kid that plays Michael Jackson on, on yes, uh, yes, yes, yeah, yeah. He, uh, yeah. Yeah, I wanted to see him perform, and I wanted to see if he won this award. You know, so that's what took me to the because I've never been much for the stage, but I sat there and I was glued the whole night. But the greatest message I got from that night was about being you. You know, you do your thing, whatever Mm. it is. You can't, Mm. and someone made that statement on stage. I don't remember who it was that night, but it was about doing your thing, not being afraid to, that you have these ideas and things that you want to do, but you're afraid because they're different. Do it. Marvin Gaye, What's Going On album. That wasn't the norm. That's some different level thinking. You know, Barry Gordy's like, are you crazy? We're not going to put this out. Now considered by most, including me, to be the greatest album ever. No doubt about it. So I'm glad you said that. So we're going to move into my final part of my conversation, which is Dr. Ian's Random 7. And I typically ask seven random questions, but I like to, for those who know my style, I want to customize them, giving you a heads up, I'm customizing my questions a little bit. So Donnie, these are seven quick questions. Okay. It's just your, your answers, whatever your answers are. Uh, I accept them and I move to the next question. Okay. Okay. I try not to comment, but sometimes the answers are so they're so deep on so many levels. I just I have to say something, but I, I try not to. So, question number one for you: Give me the three greatest singers of all time, in your opinion. Aretha Franklin, number one, without doubt. For number two, I've been having that debate for about fifty years. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but all right, I'll give you three for right now: Aretha, Mahalia Jackson, Marvin. But then we can go to David Ruffin and <laughs> sorry. Question two. When you think of the most influential songs of all time, give me three of those songs. Oh, influential. That's such a good question. Influential. The message. Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Fire. You know, it pretty much set the tone for hip hop. I mean, such a significant song. Significant. Uh, what, what was the word you used? Was it significant or impactful? What did you say? I'm saying influential, but significant. Impactful. Oh, influential. All, those, influential. all the same. Influential. Uh, I, again, I got to go with Marvin Gaye. What's going on? That whole package, that whole album. Influential. Oh, James, say it loud. I'm black and I'm proud. I mean, that's the most, to me, the most important song in history. I said that in a documentary, by the way. And uh, Reverend Al, I was hanging with Reverend Al one night, and he, you know, James practically raised Reverend Al. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the Reverend was telling me how James would watch that documentary over and over. And he said, we would always have us back up that part where you said what you did. He'd back it up, back it up, back it up. He said, we'd have to back it up six or seven times. And what I said was, this is the most important 
song in history. He said, hear what he said? Most important song in history. Not black history, in history. He said, back it up, play it again. That's my man right there. (laughs) (laughs) So can you imagine what that meant to me, though, to know that my king, that something I said meant something to my king? Mm, mm. That was a heavy, heavy moment for me. Who has Donnie Simpson not met, alive or dead, who he would like to meet and have dinner with? Oh, wow. Just one person or? One person. Oh, my goodness. Oh, God. Oh, that's so hard to name just to put it to just one. Oh, my. I'd have to say Jesus. Okay. Well, no, 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 no. I'm going to take that back because I've met him. I know him. Yeah. I know him. Yeah. So I'm going to take that one back. I don't need to use that one. I, I, I got to go with Dr. King. I got to go with Dr. King. I'm thinking Marley and a lot of other people, but I, it would have to be Dr. King. Never met him. Would love to meet him. Would love to have a conversation with him. And will one day. I look forward to that. Yeah, absolutely. If Donnie Simpson were not this icon in the radio and TV world related to music, what would he be? Baptist minister. Yep. No doubt about it. That's what I would be. That was my first ambition in my, in life. Uh, my mom says, and she's 92 now, she says, you're still going to be a Baptist minister. She, <laughs> said, she says, baby, you're trying to run from something you can't get away from. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. What makes Donnie Simpson really angry? Shooting kids, you know, mm. um, yeah, just just any violation of children to me is just, um, yeah. And I guess shooting was the first word that came because of what we just experienced lately. There's nothing that makes me angrier or sadder than that. You know, the saddest I've ever been in my life was the day we had those kids killed, uh, the, the first one at, uh, at Sandy Hook. Mm. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. Dr. Ian, I cried for three days. I mean, it felt like nonstop. I, I was just so brokenhearted. I it just, I, I just, uh, I, I just, it's just hard for me to understand and to accept. I don't know. It's, it's sad, you know, where we are in this country with, with uh, gun violence and stuff. It just, uh, it just breaks my heart. But when it touches these kids, and then when you read the detailed accounts of it, you know, like mm. at Sandy Hook to see, you know, these little bodies riddled with bullets, 13, 14 shots, some of them, you know, for in the latest one in Texas to have, you know, kids just completely unrecognizable. You have to identify them by their shoes. That, Mm. oh my God, oh my Mm. God. I I Mm. just can't tell you how much that impacts me and how sad that makes me, man. And Marvin on his album, What's Going On? Save the Mm. Children. Mm-hmm. It's the perfect song to play behind that conversation. Save the children. What does success look like to you? I think success to me is when you're happy about what you've done, that you've accomplished the dreams, the things that you wanted to, to accomplish. And, you know, for me, I don't keep score by dollars. You know, mm-hmm. that's not how the game is played to me. We, we all leave here with the exact same amount of money. That's right. You know, so, so that that's that's never been an issue with me. But it's like, like the richest person I know is my twin brother Lonnie, and Lonnie is a minister. Mm. Okay, mm. and um, Lonnie is so rich because he's so nice. He's whenever I meet people, and I think, wow, that's a really really nice person. I always 
like put him in a side by side frame with Lonnie. He's mm. the standard for me. You know, he's mm. that kind of nice. So Lonnie represents success to me. He is, you know, he he's so grounded. What this is one thing I love so much about him, and I it may be drifting. I'm sorry, Doctor Green, if I am. But no. the one thing that I love is that Lonnie is so grounded in that book, in that Bible, that any situation. He needs no time to think about it. He's mm. only allowed to see it one way, mm. immediately. Mm. Me, I got to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Me too. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and that's one thing I love so much about my, my twin brother. This is my last question. I also am a twin, by the way. Um, oh, really? Many don't know that, yes. So for those who can't see, Donnie Simpson's eyes have captivated and magnetized men and women, let's be clear, for decades. Known as the Green Eye Bandit, <clears throat> known as Dr. Green Eyes. I want you to answer this last question. A hundred years from now, someone finds an old newspaper article written about Donnie Simpson. What would you like that article to say? I would just like, in big, bold letters, one thing. He was a nice man. Donnie Simpson, I appreciate you. I appreciate your impact on all of us and how you have moved us and how you have shown us that life can be great on so many levels through your career. Thank you so much for joining the conversation. Oh, my brother, it's an honor. Thank you so much for having me, man. God bless you and your family and all you do. You too. You too. Thanks so much for listening to the conversation today. I hope it has a positive impact on your life. Of course, you can reach out to me and follow me on social. On Twitter, it's at Dr. Ian Smith, D-R-I-A-N Smith. On Instagram, at Dr. Ian Smith. Make sure you spell the doctor out, I-A-N Smith. And on Facebook, Dr. Ian Smith. And of course, if you want to transform your life starting in eight weeks, pick up a copy of my book. It's called Burn, Melt, Shred. And join our Facebook group by the same name, Burn, Melt, Shred. I do Facebook live sessions, Zoom sessions, all free to help you transform your life. And make sure you check out my website, www.dreiansmith.com. Make sure you spell out the doctor. Take care. Conversations with Dr. Ian Smith is hosted by Dr. Ian Smith, associate producer, Ariel Mancibo, executive producers, Ian Smith and Ken Johnson. Find the Conversations with Dr. Ian Smith podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts, or on IG at Dr. Ian Smith. Conversations with Dr. Ian Smith is a mean old line media production. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.